Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. And the title of this program is An Actress, Her Lovers, and a Daft Caricaturist. Edward Sorrell, a satirical caricaturist and cartoonist whose first book is Mary Astor's Purple Diary, The Great American Sex Scandal of 1936, is our guest. Claiming to be daft about Mary Astor for about a half a century, Sorrell describes Astor's career as a Hollywood-based actress who seemingly more than enjoyed a lustful and salacious life. Astor's diary, which allegedly revealed the untold stories of her trysts and lovers, was the centerpiece of the sensational 1936 trial to determine the custody of her young daughter. Sorrell, whose pictorial satires have appeared on the covers of 46 editions of The New Yorker magazine, visited Radio Curious by phone from his home in Harlem in New York City on February 27, 2017. We began our conversation when I asked him for the background of his interest in Mary Astor and what drew him to write and illustrate his book, Mary Astor's Purple Diary. What drew me to her was my prurient interest, obviously. Uh, how I came to it was rather uh, fortuitous. In 1965, I married for the second time, had no money, and uh, deep in debt, as a matter of fact. And my wife and I found a railroad flat in, in New York. It had a rotting linoleum in the kitchen, and my wife said, the first thing we have to do is get rid of that. So I went through, started picking up the linoleum since I didn't have the money to have anybody else do it. And uh, under the fourth layer of linoleum, when I hit the floor, there were several newspapers from 1936, the Daily News and the Daily Mirror from late July 1936. And they all had headlines about a custody battle in Los Angeles involving Mary Astor, who was suing her ex-husband for custody of their daughter. And the problem, the reason that it made headlines was because her husband had stolen her diary in which she kept a record of all her extramarital affairs, and he intended to use the contents of the diary to prove that she was an unfit mother. That was scandalous enough, but but what made it what made the headlines was the fact that one of her lovers, who she identified only as G, turned out to be George S. Kaufman, the most successful playwright on Broadway and himself a married man as well. When Kaufman came into the picture, that was big news. And I read, uh, I started putting the newspapers together chronologically. I read about it. And um, I only had about three days or four days worth of newspapers. And so I became curious as to what happened. I started to read uh, read about George S. Kaufman, who had four biographies out at that time. And Mary Astor, fortunately, had written her memoir, 
1959, and I got hold of a copy of that, and uh, she turned out to be a brilliant writer. She was witty, self-denigrating, and very observant. And I kind of uh, fell for her on the basis of her diary. What you say is that your friends would be flummoxed to discover uh, that she is the woman about who you have been daft for about a half a century. Is that when it all began? It began when I read her diary, and uh, I, I, of course, always looking for material for a book, and it occurred to me that this would make a wonderful book to illustrate because Hollywood movies were very important to me as as a boy growing up. Uh, Movies were the interesting family that I never had. And so I was fascinated by Hollywood. And uh, I always wanted to illustrate, write and illustrate about this, this scandal. But for the next 50 years, I was quite busy with deadlines. And it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago when when magazines started to fail and disappear and started to use photography rather than illustration, that I began to have time to finally do the book that I wanted to do back in 1965, rather than write simply about the scandal itself, but to write about her whole life, which which was fascinating because her first lover, when she was a teenager, was none other than John Barrymore, America's great Shakespearean actor, who had, after completing his Hamlet on Broadway and declared by everyone as America's greatest Shakespearean actor, was on his way to Hollywood on the 20th century to appear in Bo Brummel when he picked up a movie magazine and saw a picture of 16-year-old Mary Astor. Under the picture was the headline, On the Verge of Womanhood. And Mr. Barrymore, who was no stranger to the flowering virgins, was very interested. And when he got to Hollywood, demanded that she be his leading lady, although he had never seen her on screen or met her in person. But it was just on the basis of that one photograph and perhaps on the headline. So that meeting brings me to how you report towards the end of your book that she characterized herself, that she was sexually out of control. Was that a lifelong manifestation of active lust? It's difficult to know. Some some people have read the book and sized her up as a nymphomaniac. Some some, uh, quite erroneously saw her as using sex as a way to the top, which was completely wrong. Uh, I think it had more to do with the fact that she had cold, unloving parents. She had a mother who really didn't like her, a father who exploited her just for the money he could make from her, and who kept her from knowing children her own age or from seeing how American families treated their children. He himself was a German immigrant who had come to America for no other reason than to get rich. Uh, So she had what I can only call an abusive childhood. And I think it was this search for love that made her seek it 
everywhere with extremely bad results. She was able to convince herself she was really deeply in love after one roll in the hay with a guy. So um, I I, I really, I mean, that part of her life will remain a mystery to me. I don't know, I don't know whether are nymphomaniacs born rather than uh, created? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not into psychology. Uh, she, yes, she was sexually active, but the reason for it is uh, someone else will have to guess at. In the front opening page and the back closing page, uh, bound in into the hard copy of your book, you have a uh, picture that you've drawn of her um, nude, partially covered um, uh, with, a, with a lace cloth, and her hand to her head, as if she's saying, um, well, maybe you should say what you would anticipate she's saying. Well, it's a pose of, it, it's almost a silent screen pose of despair. She's holding the back of her hand to her forehead, and looking up at the sky, uh, uh, if you look closely, you see an empty bottle of gin under her chaise lounge, and she's holding a diary, which, of course, was the crux of her whole scandal. Uh, it, it's sort of a parody. You know, her life was actually a very troubled one, and I, I chose to turn it into a screwball tragedy rather than a real one, something I was forced to do because I'm incapable of drawing tragic pictures. When I do try to be sincerely emotional, my pictures come off as being parodies or satires of real tragedy. So I had no choice because because I intended to illustrate this, but to see the humorous aspects of her life while they were, in point of fact, rather tragic. So this this illustration that you're talking about, which was the end papers of my book, was a sort of a synthesis of the many terrible things that happened to her in her life, but in my hands turned out to be rather comical on occasion. Well, from the perspective that you characterize yourself as a person whose only fault is to give away the most intimate secrets of your life to people who you meet on the street. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us why it's so difficult for you to uh, draw tragic pictures without them coming out as parodies or satires? Well, I guess it's because I myself don't enjoy watching tragedy, seeing tragedy, or reading tragedy. I like satire. Two two nights ago, I went to see Sondheim's Sunday in the Park with George. I found it a colossal bore, all the pretentious, going nowhere, except for 10 minutes in the second act, where there's what I choose to think of as a satire on modern art, a modern art opening. That part I enjoyed. I enjoy satire, and it's no mystery why why I enjoy doing satiric drawings. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I 
just have a revulsion against pathos and uh, pathos or whatever. Uh, and uh, I, I think comic art is a great art. I think comic art is the greatest art. We're visiting with uh, Edward Sorrell, the author of Mary Astor's Personal Diary, The Great American Sex Scandal of 1936. Edward Sorrell is a renowned caricaturist, a person who, among many other things, uh, has done the covers for 46 issues of The New Yorker. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Um, Ed, in terms of... um, it's no mystery that you enjoy satire. I wonder if that's related to the comment that you have in your book in which you say, my friends know I regard all religions not only as a threat to world peace, but as a threat to anything liberating. Yes, I said that, and, uh, and, and I believe it. I, I, I remember that part in the book because... Mary Astor, at at a certain point, uh, was desperate to be accepted in the Catholic Church, and I was uh, trying to explain to my reader the um, dichotomy between me as a proselytizing atheist and my uh, great affection for Mary, who desperately wanted to be be accepted in the Catholic Church in spite of her many divorces, which incidentally she achieved. I don't. I. I. I don't know what the other part of the question is. Oh, you well that that you regard all religions as a threat to world peace, and a threat well, to I anything. Think can anyone challenge me on that? Of course, it's a threat to world peace. What What's going on all over the world now is essentially all about religion. Uh, what, what is this Muslim ban that our president wants except a religious war? Uh, so, yes, of course it's a threat to world peace. And, of, of course, all religion is about the same thing. My God is better than your God. So uh, there, there can't be any, any peace, it seems to me, uh, under those conditions. I'm I'm thinking. <laughs> well, I know I know that the whole I know that all religions are promoting peace and kindness, and yet, as we know, it was the Bible Belt that uh, that has given us Mr. Trump as our president. It was the Christers who uh, who are so good at hating uh, who have given us this hating president. I uh, I wish I could say I'm enjoying the uh, the contradictions here, but I'm I'm not. Why don't you enjoy those contradictions? Well, because because so many people are going to suffer as a result of those uh, dichotomies. Yes, it's certainly ironic that a religion based on do unto others and empathy with the poor and all that sort of stuff has, has essentially found its strongest adherence in, um, in people who prize free enterprise above kindness and charity and concern for others. But uh, I think it's always been that way. Uh, I don't think 
And I don't think uh, Christianity has any monopoly on that hypocrisy. What are your thoughts in multiple religions having um, control or attempting to exert control on sexual behavior of uh, adherence to any particular uh, theology? Well, I think it goes beyond just having control on the sexual things. I think strong religionists want everybody to be like them, including looking like them and talking like them. And it is there's a reason why people in the cities are more tolerant than people in, in the great Bible Belt, because uh, we are forced to ride in the subways with people who are quite different from ourselves. We marry people who are different from ourselves. We have friends who look different from ourselves. And so the other is not really a stranger to us. You know, the um, people who only see mirrors of themselves tend not to be tolerant of people who look different from themselves, it seems to me. Goodwin Knight, eventual governor of California, was the judge in Mary Astor's divorce and, and child custody trial. He, he not only became governor, but I remember, uh, because I'm a very old man, I remember in 1940, when I was about 10 years old, that he was a serious contender for the Republican nomination for president, which I think Wendell Wilkie had that year. Uh, he was he was a nice enough guy. Uh, he ran a tight courtroom, and uh, and he did finally uh, get get a settlement between Mary Astor and her ex husband. As you wrote, he told the lawyers, uh, uh, "Get out of my courtroom and come back when you have a settlement." Yes, exactly. Yeah, I suggest a conspiracy theory in my book as to why that outcome happened. The movie studios at that time, perhaps still, uh, controlled Los Angeles, and they controlled the courts, and they controlled the police, and they desperately wanted this scandal to go away. They had suffered a terrible scandal with Fatty Arbuckle some years earlier, and William Randolph Hearst and his newspapers were always ready to start a purification campaign in Hollywood. Radio had was becoming an important factor in entertainment, and they were afraid that there'd be a boycott of movies if Hollywood was presented as Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, they put a lot of pressure on, and I believe they put pressure on the governor to see to it that Goodwin Knight, never produced the contents of the diary. Um, the contents of the diary, as you know, were already exposed. A reporter from the Daily News had, had bribed someone in a law office to obtain the diary and photographed those sections of the diary, which referred to her affair with George S. Kaufman in New York. And Hollywood was also terrified that some of the names in the diary, some of the initials in the diary, would be attributed to some of the their actors. And uh, some of those actors may have gotten 
a poor grade for sexual ability. So there was a, a real panic to keep the contents of the diary secret. Staying with Mary Astor, can you share with us your experience in meeting her? Uh, yes. Well, um, I didn't know enough about what exactly went on when Mary met George. And I decided the only thing to do was to interview her. And in my book, I invent a Monsignor at the Archdiocese that I go to see because I'm certain that Mary is in her Catholic heaven and only the Catholic Church can get me an interview. And sure enough, he does arrange an interview at the Archdiocese, and she flies in through the window, and she, unfortunately, she is not 84 as she was when she died, uh, and I at that time was 86, and I thought, well, uh, this will be this will be good. We'll have a chance to discuss our aches and pains together. But no, she flies in through the window as she was in 1936, 30 years old, and she is a knockout. And she answers all my questions with great candor, and that is a whole chapter in my book, my meeting with Mary Astor. Uh, a, a transcendental uh, experience. Uh, yes. It, it was, uh, it was, I think it was the bravest thing I ever did to, to, to put that in. I, did, I had no idea how it would be, how it would be received. I think a lot of people were puzzled by it. Well, Ed Sorrell, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, um, I'd like to ask a couple of more questions about you. And the first one is about an aha or Eureka experience that changed your life? There were two Eureka moments. One was professional and one was personal. You know, as an illustrator for magazines or for advertising agencies, the artist does a sketch, and if the idea is approved, he then does a finish, uh, which is usually much tighter and, uh, and less sketchy, obviously. Uh, and that, that's the way my early career went. Uh, but I kept noticing that my sketches had a great deal of life to it, which the finishes didn't. And, and then in 1966, uh, at, at a very uh, difficult time in my career, I got a, an assignment from Esquire magazine from George Lois to do to do the cover of Esquire magazine of Frank Sinatra. Uh, Gay Calise had written an article called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold, and George had this wonderful idea of Frank Sinatra with a cigarette in his mouth and many hands trying to light his cigarette for him because part of the article was about the sycophants around Frank Sinatra. And um, and because this was the biggest job I'd ever gotten and because it was a low point in my career, I was very nervous. And what I always do when I'm insecure is I overwork a piece. And I did this, I did a practically a rendering of this idea. And when I brought it into George, he just rolled his eyes and said, uh, 
Now, this won't do. I'll give you 24 hours to do it, do it over. And um, I had no choice but to do the drawing direct. In other words, not trace it. Just go for it and do it without any tracing, without any, any pencil or anything. And I did that, and it came out beautifully. It had life, it had spirit, it had energy, and it changed, it changed my career in illustration because uh, from that point on, I tried to do all of my drawings as direct as possible. The personal one is actually in my book because... I married for the first time at 27 uh, for the simple reason that I had convinced myself that I was incapable of, of love and that I might just as well marry this uh, woman who was very des desperate to marry me, very eager to marry me. Uh, the marriage did, did not work out, and after, after it was over, I... I met a woman that I fell in love with the first day I met her and and was deeply in love with her for the next 50 years. Um, so that was a personal aha moment. I am capable of love after all. And Ed Sorrell, what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Uh, my life has changed Suddenly, three months ago, when my book, Mary Astor's Purple Diary, came out, I realized that I really could could write. I mean, I never thought of myself as a writer. I thought of myself as a, just an illustrator. And now that I have credentials as a writer, I intend to write another book. I intend to illustrate it. And I intend to uh, to not take any more assignments for the rest of my life. Books. What a book or books would you recommend to our listeners? I just got through with a very unlikely uh, book called Iron Dawn, Civil War Sea Battle That Changed History by Richard Snow. It's a book about the Monitor and the Merrimack, the two ironclad ships that decided, as the subtitle of the book says, and it was. And there was another book called a terrible Virtue. It was a novel about Margaret Sanger, uh, the woman who was a courageous uh, proselytizer for birth control. It was written by Ellen Feldman. Ed Sorrell, I've got one last question. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times uh, that you're an old man, and I'm yeah. curious as to when you felt yourself becoming old, when you began to say that about yourself. Well, when when I realized that age-appropriate women were old women. Well, Ed, thanks so much for joining us on Radio Curious. Well, thank you. It was it was great fun. Edward Sorrell, a satirical caricaturist and cartoonist, is the author of Mary Astor's Purple Diary. The Great American Sex Scandal of 1936. The books that Ed Sorrell recommends are Iron Dawn, The Monitor and the Merrimack, and The Sea Battle That Changed History by Richard Snow, and Terrible Virtue, a novel about Margaret Sanger by Ellen Feldman. 
This program was recorded on February 27, 2017. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website. They're free for anyone to enjoy, download, and broadcast as you wish. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters about our programming and look forward to hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The snail mail is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.